Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are covering the tragic murder of Martha Brailsford back in 1991. So this is uh, Salem history. Uh, you know, obviously we do a lot of history on the podcast, whether it's witch trials or whatever. Uh, you know, we do some more modern adventures, you know, like the cemetery stuff, which is still history. Uh, but this is much more recent. It's, you know, a significant amount of you listening were alive in 1991. I was. Uh, we've had people uh, on the podcast who lived in Salem when this happened. I've had people on my tours who were here when this happened. Uh, so this is history, but recent. But recent memory. And we do want to be very careful about uh, how we tackle this topic, too, because we know there are people around today that knew Martha Brailsford. So we definitely want to be conscientious of that as we go along. So just a heads up on the episode, just a little explicit trigger warning. We are going to be talking about some pretty heavy topics today, like murder, and things will get a little intense at points. So so if any of you do the the true crime podcasts, this is true crime with Salem Podcast. Yeah, this is probably going to be right <laughs> up your alley. I myself yeah. am a big true crime listener, whether it's morbid or my favorite murder, love criminal. Uh, but this is our first. We, we covered Captain I mean, like, White. Like Captain White. Which, Captain White, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that's back in 1830. Yeah. This is much more recent. It's a totally different vibe. And we, we hated Captain White, you know. We, yeah, he's a slave trader, whatever. Yeah. Gets the skull bashed Kind of got what was coming to him. Plus, he lived a very prosperous life up to that point. Yeah. But poor Martha Brailsford, her life was cut much too short. Tragically short. But before we jump into today's topic, we got to play a little catch up. Tour corner. Not really. No, we haven't given tours in ages. No, no <laughs> tour corner, but happy 2023. Yes, happy new year, friends. You haven't heard from us in, well, I mean, a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Uh, we took a little, you know, wintertime break for the, the merry festive Yule uh, celebrations, whatever uh, that is. We hope uh, you had a, an excellent holiday. Um, or any non-denominational or denominational festive celebration that brings joy to your life. It was a nice little break. Yeah. We had fun. We had a fun New Year's. Ah, uh, yes, we did. We, we went did. to the Deal Marcus Masquerade. Yeah. Oh, they had the best vintage band. Yeah. Music was great. Uh, company was fantastic. Drinks were beautiful. Drinks were great. Drinks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many I had. It was a fantastic evening. Oh, it was uh, wonderful. We met some, some great new people, great new friends. Hopefully, uh, some of you are listening to, to the podcast. We met a couple who moved to Salem. Like the, the day before. The day before. Yeah. yeah. They had just moved to Salem, and they were looking for something to do. So they invited us over for dinner, actually. They did. I'll take them up on that. If you're, I, I think I have them on that. Yeah. I, I, no, yeah. I got their number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, it was. Ask and you shall receive. Right? It was, it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. So thanks to everyone who went to that. It was wonderful seeing you. And uh, hopefully Deal Marcus does that again. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah. Before we jump in, we also have to tackle a little bit of Patreon stuff. So Patreon housekeeping. Well, also Patreon in general. We yeah. have a Patreon. If you missed our last update announcement, we're not coming to you for two weeks a week ago. Announcement. It was in there. Yeah. So. We, we now have a Patreon. So you can go. You can check that out. Links all over the place on the website and the Instagram. Uh, that's how we're going to be getting through this podcasting work. 
um, and bringing more stuff to you. We got some some cool pins, t-shirts at different tiers, uh, postcards to the first hundred Patreons, as well as uh, some cool videos uh, we'll be doing. Yeah, we just got up the video of us talking about the artifacts we pulled from the North River, so that was pretty fun. And we were bopping around town this weekend and snagged some postcards from some local businesses. So those postcards will probably be going out at the end of the week for our first uh, several dozen Patreons, Mm -hmm. patrons that signed up. But remember, that's for the first hundred. So if you sign up now you'll end up getting a postcard from us from salem if not then no postcard for you no postcard for you i actually have an idea to kind of motivate people to sign up (gasps) i have have a goal so like like like, like, what do you got the goal for the year is to get 100 patrons which i think is doable goal for now for this moment i don't know when we'll hit it but i would really like to hit 50 and we're about halfway there what say you to if we hit 50 when? When we hit 50. I'll join you at your barber. And instead of your usual half-shaved thing that you do, we can shave ice into the back and then go recreate the scene from Hocus Pocus and Marblehead. You're, you're just antagonizing me. No, I'm not. I'm serious. Maybe I think you are. <laughs> no, I think I think I really want to do it. Maybe. Okay, fine. I, if, yeah? If, if we do that. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So when we hit 50 patrons... Okay. Jeffrey will shave ice into the back of his head, and we will go over to Marblehead, the bearing point, and recreate the scene from Hocus Pocus, where Max runs into ice and what's his name? Jay. Jay, that's his name. Jay and ice. I kind of hate you, but fine. But you know you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) She's like, hey, do you want to do this thing that's solely for my entertainment value? (laughs) And their entertainment. Okay, and their. It's it's for them. Okay. It's for the people. Give the the people what they want. Give give Sarah what she wants. You agreed. (laughs) And I got it on recording, so Uh, can't back out now. We can just edit that bit out. That's how that works, right? Not when I'm behind the editing chair. So again, if you want to support the podcast, you can head on over to the Patreon, sign up for one of the tiers. We thank you so, so much for any contribution you're willing to make. And we've got to make a couple shout outs to the ones that have already done so. So if you don't hear your name called today, don't worry. It'll be coming up in a future episode. So we wanted to say a special thank you to Tyler LaBeouf. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. I probably screwed your name up, Tyler. I'm sorry. We were sitting here and we we're like, is it LaBeouf? Like, shy? Is it LaBeouf? And it's like, we should, it's a French thing. So Tyler LaBeouf. If it's the Tyler I'm thinking of, they won't They won't be too upset with us. Okay. They love the podcast. Okay. So, thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Also, Catherine Kennedy. Catherine Kennedy. Like that. Are they from Massachusetts? Do you know? Any idea? I think they are. Ah, Massachusetts Kennedy. Careful with that one. I could be wrong. I like it. Also big podcast supporters. Thank well, you, Catherine. I, <laughs> clearly. Next on our list is Arlie Kristen. Thank you, Arlie. Appreciate you. John Kane. John Kane. It's a strong name. He, he's in here as JFK as well. So I was like, Kennedy and JFK. Are we, what do we got going on here? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, following that, Luke. Just, just Thank, Luke. Just Luke. Cool Thank, hands. Thank you, Luke. Very nice. <laughs> a big thank you to Anthony. Just Anthony. Appreciate you as well. 
And uh, lastly, for today's, today's shout out, we have Megan Gay. Thank you, Megan. So again, thank you all so much for contributing. It means the world to us that you believe in this podcast and you want to help us continue to do it. Thank you. No, wait. Thanks for listening. I'm not going to say it. But we're done. We've done it so many times. But we're done. See you later. (laughs) But with that. Are we ready to jump into today's topic? We are. So as we mentioned uh, in the beginning, we're going to be talking about the murder of uh, Salem local Martha Brailsford. Do we want to talk a little bit about her, her history? Yeah, we can start with that. She had moved to Salem, I believe in the early 80s, uh, with her husband, Mm -hmm. Brian Brailsford. She, from all accounts, was beloved in the community. Just was a good soul, it sounds like. Oftentimes, when you're talking about victims of crime, especially violent crimes, you hear the same spiel. You know, they lit up a room when they came into it. You know, they were friends with everyone. It was the last person you would have expected for this to happen to. Which is... But it's it's accurate. It's a trope, you know, for a reason. Uh, That, unfortunately, a lot of these things, these things happen to... Bad things happen to good people, and, and she, by all accounts, seemed to be a good person. She left behind her her husband, also her twin sister, uh, so she was a twin. And um, as as I have uh, siblings who are twins, my my little brothers, I can't imagine, uh, like literally, like it's not the even, heartache. Yeah, it's not like that's that's that must have been uh, horrible to to have to experience. Um, but interesting fun fact about her or them, I guess is while she does move here from uh, New Jersey, one of the reasons that she moved to Salem in particular is because she has some roots here or some family history here. (laughs) Yes. So, in fact, she was a descendant of Roger Conant, the founder of Salem. Yes. So her full name is Martha Conant Brailsford. And her twin sister is Muriel Conant. So they both, I believe uh, you said it was their mother's. Uh, I believe it was their mother's maiden name. Yeah, so their their middle name is their mother's maiden name, which is Conant. So they are descendants of uh, the founder of Salem, uh, as we know it today, which is kind of neat. So she did move up here with a purpose. She also loved the water. Um, so she wanted to be close to the sea, close to the ocean. Her and her husband sailed quite often. Which, of course, is a damn catch-22 to this whole horrific story, which you'll you'll learn more about, but... And a a lot of coincidences. I'd say that that's not the only coincidence you see um, with her being tied to the founder of Salem. And we'll sprinkle those throughout and try to try to bring it around at the end. But yeah, a lot of eerie things in this story. So there we go. Martha Brailsford uh, again, unfortunately, dies July 12th, 1991. She was 37 years old, a relatively petite woman, about 5'3", dirty blonde hair. She was an independent artist. She had recently been laid off from her job as an interior designer, um, but she was ready to make a living on her own. Her husband was a ferry operator. He operated the ferry between Boston and Provincetown. And um, she herself was mostly working from home at this point on her art. But it was on the afternoon of July 12th, 1991, that Martha Brailsford left her house for the very last time. She made her way through the Willows neighborhood, and she passed a couple friends. Uh, She knew, it seems like she knew everyone, and we all know Salem is such a small town, especially that neighborhood. uh, Yeah, so she lived up by the Salem Willows. 
So for those, we've, we've got, we had a whole episode on the Willows, uh, but there's a little neighborhood up there. And I don't know how many houses, maybe a hundred or so, like five yeah, roads. Yeah, it's not a huge, huge yeah. area. There's like one or two roads in and out. And then once you get in there, the roads crisscross. But if you like go for a walk, you're, you're going to walk past everyone's house. You're going to see the same faces yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it's a very much a, a nautical community. Yeah. A lot of them own boats. A lot of them sail. A lot. That's usually why that they're, they're there in right. the first place. Right. So she definitely was able to forge relationships with people in town, especially in her neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So when she's leaving her home that day, she sees a couple friends waves to them. She says, got to meet a friend. We're going for a sail. Now it's at 9 p.m. that night that Brian comes home to find his wife not there. Which is unusual that she's not there, but not unusual that he's coming home so late. Right. Uh, his job tended to, to keep him out, uh, not necessarily randomly, but routinely. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of traveling. Yeah. If you're yeah. a ferry operator, got to go into Boston, got to do the ferries and make your way home. He had left her about 7 a.m. that morning. That was the last time he saw her. But when he pulled up to the house, he saw their dog, Rudy, tied up to the porch banister. The doors were unlocked. The shades were up. Lights were off. It was as if she had just stepped out for a brief moment and never came back. So he was obviously concerned, as any of us would be. And I I think he does probably what any of us would do. Right. You make a couple phone calls, uh, ask around, call the hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we'll, we'll touch on this a couple more times, but it's 1991. So we don't have cell phones. Right. He can't just text her, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the geolocators on the phone. Where is she? Right. Um, uh, it's it's is she active on Instagram? Right. Like you can't yeah. just just do that. So like the calls that he has to make are going to be um, leaving messages on on voice ma- uh, on answering machines. Uh, you have to call. If you're going to call a bar, you can't be, oh, she at the bar. You call the bar, hope the bartender picks up. And then, you know, you have to. Hey, is Martha Brailsford in here? Right. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, it's 1991. So we have to sort of keep that in the back of, of our heads as we're like, well, it's so hard to find her. Well, she doesn't have a. <laughs> it's weird to think about how this case would have gone if it happened now. Yeah. Because I don't think it would have been the situation whatsoever. She probably right. would have texted her husband like, hey, I'm stepping out for yeah. a moment to go hang out with this friend. Or on the boat, be back later. Yeah. You know, and because, uh, you know, the sort of the way the world operates these days. Uh, it was a little different back then. So as he is making several phone calls to try and find her, no avail. He did phone the police mm-hmm. around 1 a.m. Their response was, eh, you know, a typical, I guess, of someone who's calling about a recent missing person. Right. And, and like, let's be honest. And, you know, we, we can throw shade all over the place. But, you know, I came home three hours ago, seven. And my wife isn't here. And my wife isn't here. I am finally, finally, you're like, she's. Just the, get, give it a couple more hours, yeah, they the, said. The chance that she was asleep on a friend's couch versus the chance that, that, that the horrific, ha- which did happen. I mean, it had, I don't want to say it had never happened before, but you know, probably in the history of, of, you know. Most oftentimes, people come home. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Like that's just what happens, whether she was out at the bar or at a friend's house, maybe fell asleep on the couch. But that's the thing, though, is Brian's like, no, that's not her. She doesn't go to bars. She doesn't. She would have told me if she was hanging out with friends. She would have told she would have left a note if she was planning to be gone by the time I came back. And you got to think the fact that the dog is, you know. Yeah. There were a lot of red flags, especially to him. So he listens to the police, tries to, you know give it a little bit of time, um, but he can't shake this horrible feeling and gets up around 3 a.m. to start looking for her himself, grabs a flashlight and starts walking every route that he knows her to take through the willows, um, up Salem Neck, and he just kept walking and walking, trying to find anyone that may have seen her, but unfortunately he's coming up empty. Because it's not where she was. He also contacts her sister, Muriel, mm-hmm. who is very afraid at this point. She knows because that this she is, also knows she she's... knows Martha. She knows that this is not typical yeah. of her behavior. So now uh, there's, I mean, there's been a search. He's searched. He's contacted the authorities. He's contacted uh, other local people, and now it's the next day. Yeah, he searched all night long. At that point, people are starting to kind of come in. And, and help. So he's got acquaintances of him and Martha at the house. Her sister will drive up from Cambridge with her husband, and he will get a slight clue on that Saturday the 13th. He ran into a friend of theirs and explained the situation, and he responded with, oh yeah, I saw Martha yesterday. She was with some guy with a little dog, balding, Dark, not the dog, the guy. Balding, dark-haired guy, tall. That's all he could offer. Didn't know the guy's name, but that's what he saw. Right about that time, so midday, Brian recognized the description. Martha was kind of known for taking unfortunate people under their wing. She tended to help people in need. And he recalled Martha describing this new friend of hers to him. This man, his name was Tom, and he was a recent widower. So just a a poor guy that lost his wife to cancer. Martha saw him as this grieving individual that needed a friend. So they'd bumped into each other uh, as he had a dog and she had a dog, and they both live in the same neighborhood. And as you're walking your dog, and there's this other person walking their dog, and you tend just to make friends. Yep. Um, And they got to chatting and... uh, she was sympathetic to his situation. I think any of us would be, right? You're like, here's this guy who's walking his dog and he's all alone. His wife's recently passed away. Um, it doesn't scream malicious. No, no. It screams like, I can see why he might want a friend. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> Don't give him away too much. Okay, okay, okay. So thankfully, Brian knew who this was. Yeah. And also knew that his name was Tom. Yeah, so also... Martha hadn't like hidden their relationship, right? She would come home, be like, "Oh, I saw Tom yeah, today." Yeah, there's no affair going yeah, on. Yeah, it, it was. Oh, you know, bumped into Tom walking his dog. But it's not like she. she I'm sure she went home and she's like, "Oh, I bumped into Tom. I also saw so and so, so and so, and the other neighbors." And someone says hi, and you know your normal conversation. So he just became not necessarily part of her routine, but someone she'd see somewhat regularly, and and. and this, this then means that he is passively at least known uh, to Brian. Yep. 
So, and he also knew where he lived too, yes. thankfully. So Tom Maimoni lived down at Settler's Way. Now this was weird reading about this story because I actually used to skate very, very close to these condos and it's so eerie. I used to live like right <laughs> off of Collins Cove. So Settler's Way is like right up against Collins Cove. He was in a condo that overlooked the cove and um, they're still, obviously they're still there today. And it's just so weird, right? To like know where these people have lived, the streets that they walked. It's just, ugh. So Brian goes to the condos. He runs into a neighbor, locates where Tom lives, and knocks on the door. Again, this isn't malicious or, and he's like, no, hey. Just, just looking for his wife. Yeah. Tom says, Martha who? Just acts like he knows nothing. Yes, this is the woman that you've, you've walked with many, right. many times. Says, oh, the girl with the dog. Oh. Mamoni claimed he had seen her Friday morning, early Friday morning, on her walk. But that so, was the last time. So that would have been the, that day, so the day yeah. she went missing. He said that he did see her that morning. Um, and not to, to, to devil's advocate, but Martha who isn't the worst. Like, obviously, he knew, but... I, I don't know all my neighbors' names. Right, that's a typical, I guess it's a somewhat right? typical like, response. Like, you might go walking with someone with their dog, and you might only know the dog's name. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, you're like, oh, that's, that's Brody, yeah, that's yeah. A, who's the owner? And you're like, shoot. Shh. You're like, I, I, I don't know. So none of this really seems out of the ordinary yet. But she's still missing. Tom Maimoni even suggests to Brian while he's there, we should go for a sale sometime. Both you can come. I'll bring a girlfriend along, he said. And Brian was very forward with him. Asked him straight up, did you go sailing with Martha on Friday? Because remember, her friends had said she was off to go sail with someone. It's like, is this the guy? Did you, did you go sailing with her? Says, no. I would have never taken Martha out on my boat alone. No way. That would have been weird. He's sort of very forward about like that would have been inappropriate. Yeah. So again, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's at this point that, well, they go to the police. Gonna get a little more serious. So remember, the Salem Police Station at this time was located on Central Street, mm-hmm. right next to Reds, where you can go see Salem the podcast on the placemat. What? Just Sorry, that, that in there. That was totally just thrown in there. Had to had to get that. I don't think we've talked about. It. Did I steal that from you? I'm sorry. No, did you no, no. we said it in the last episode. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, okay, I forgot. But I appreciate your, yeah. <laughs> your thoughtfulness on it. So he goes down to the police station with uh, Martha's sister, and um, they want to file a formal report. Like, she is missing. We can't find her. Something's definitely wrong here. Sergeant Conrad Prisniewski is the one to take the case. He had been with the Salem PD for about 14 years, five years as a detective. And he actually used to go to the Willows as a kid. So he knew the area. He knew the people very well, and he was like, okay, let's see what we can figure out. So uh, uh, Detective Sergeant Conrad Prosniewski, um is the lead officer on the case, and uh, he gets to work, does the good detective work, you know, knocking on doors, asking questions, taking notes, trying to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Who's seen Martha? When they saw Martha? Who did you see him with? Where did you see her? What was she doing? What time was it? He did have to question Brian, of course, because yep. most of the time when someone goes missing, 
it's the it's husband. The husband. Statistically, it's the, it's the husband, um, or at least someone that they know. Yeah, or yes, someone uh, in relation to to them. But given Brian's work schedule and the fact that he was literally on a ferry when she went missing, he's ruled out as a suspect very quickly. Yeah, there's you know a hundred ways to to check his alibi. It's not like he he was literally he, <laughs> he was on a boat. Yeah. In the middle of Boston Harbor. So he he is ruled out, which which then makes their job, if the statistically relevant individual is not in any way a suspect, well, who's it going to be? And we learn very quickly that it's probably Tom Mamoni. So Brian relayed the information about Martha possibly going for a sale with this man. So, of course, the detective will follow up and pay Tom a visit again. He answers the door. Martha who? Denies that she had come on his boat the day before. He had, however, seen her on his morning walk, as he had told Brian. Tom said he would never do anything to jeopardize his marriage. Wait, what? Marriage? I thought he was going to bring a girlfriend on the boat. I thought he was a widower. What? What? Pump the brakes, bitch. Przniewski discovers that Tom is not the lonely widower he has been portraying to Martha and seems like pretty much everyone in the neighborhood, but indeed he was married. His wife, Patty, or Patricia, was out of town at the moment. She was in Kansas, so quite a ways away, and she had been so for a couple days. As as the detective goes to leave, Mamoni says, my wife and I are deeply religious. We'll say a prayer for her. The detective, I know. Can you imagine being a uh, 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 detective Prosnuski and having those bits of information? Like, oh, me and my wife, and you're like, well, he's already. So that's got him thinking. Like, like the, wait a minute, the red flag that must have popped up. Like, so this guy was lying to Martha about his marriage. He lied earlier that morning about bringing a girlfriend along if they ever go for I a bet sale. He knew. I bet that's it. I bet that's when he knew. Oh, oh that. That Tom did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like, like. So when he makes the religious comment, the detective kind of looks around the house. He doesn't see any anything. Uh-huh. No crucifixes, no Buddhas, no pentagrams, nothing. Nothing to suggest a religious household. It's inconsistent. So he's already catching on. Tom Amoni is a bit of a, a bullshitter, a liar. He, he's a big bullshitter. And uh, we've all known someone like that. I don't I've never known anyone like this. This, this is like. I'll be honest, this reminded me of the ex boyfriend that we have all flipped off oh, before. Would I put it past him to kill someone? The, the, the job but the pathological the, line? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It just, it just, it gets. Okay. Well, well, we'll unpack more about Tom as we go through the story. Tom says one more thing. You know what always bothered me about Martha? The fact that she took so easily to strangers. Sergeant Przniewski. He headed back to the station after that and happened to run into a senior colleague. His fellow officer asked him how his day was going. Presnuski's response was, I just talked to a murderer. So yes, he did in fact know. There we go. He knew. There we go. But we're not going to get him quite yet. We're going to get him. But got to jump through a few more hoops here. So the next task is restructing Martha's path on Friday. Yeah. They talk to everyone that they can to nail down her whereabouts, who saw her, when, where, with whom. 
friends confirmed that they saw her walking around 1 p.m. So he's going to start there. So where he gets sort of his key bit of information is from, and I'm not 100% sure on uh, whether it was someone at or like the harbor master of or whatever at the Willows Yacht Club. Yes, I got that for you. So he started with the Salem, yep, Salem Willows Yacht Club. Right. The owner of the bait shop. Owner of the bait shop, okay. Saw her around 120 or so. But that was pretty much where it ended. It was a very busy day. But the dock hand did recall seeing her get onto a boat. Now, he wasn't able to pinpoint who, like which boat it was. Mm -hmm. um, But he could describe it. And he could also describe the man she had gotten on the boat with. So I'm guessing it's going to be a similar description to one Mr. Tom Mamoni. Indeed. So now we have... uh, eyewitnesses at the yacht club where the boats are kept that she did indeed that she was there and she did go out on his boat so now we have multiple eyewitnesses confirming that that took place which is in direct contrast to what tom has claimed now twice once to brian and once to uh sergeant prosnuski so let's go back and talk to tom (laughs) did he think he was gonna get away like you think you're gonna succeed in lying about the fact that you don't have a wife or I, that you weren't out thing, so he's an idiot right he's he's a compulsive liar he's a narcissist he's a manipulator and he's kind of dumb uh, and, and i think that's sort of the icing on the cake to, to this whole thing is is whether he thought he was smarter than everyone else which i think might be the case when it comes to some of this narcissistic behavior uh-huh. um but i i look at some of it and i was like okay maybe i can see but it's going to get found out. Like, there's, just, there's too many holes in the story. Yeah. There's too many ways to contradict it. Easily. Yeah. Easily. The truth is going to come out. Like, and I, and I don't... Taking her through the yacht club. Like, it's not like his boat was parked, like, at a skiff, like a private moor, or like... Well, that tells you that maybe he didn't... I don't think he planned... I don't think he planned for this to happen, but we can talk about our theories at the end, what we think happened. I will say that we don't know exactly, but we know for sure that she got on the boat with Tom right around 1.30 or so in the afternoon of Friday the 12th. So there's still no sign of her all throughout Saturday. Sunday, at first light, the Coast Guard begins searching the waters. Mm. They have helicopters in the air, scanning from above, posters with Martha's face peppered the town. Everyone was looking for her. Martha, like we said, was really well-known in the community. She was compassionate, very thoughtful. People were concerned. So this has now been 48 hours, mm-hmm. give or take. Uh, so again, the 12th is a Friday. So then Saturday is when she's first questioned. Sunday is when we start the search. And now we continue Rolling to Monday. One more thing. So on Sunday, the police also received a call from another Willows resident who claimed to know Tom pretty well. And according to him, Tom had multiple previous wives, none of which were dead. So this whole thing about Tom being a widower, his wife died of cancer. How many layers to this onion are we going to peel back? Four? Yeah. And where is Tom during this time? Rhode Island? Yeah, he had popped down to Rhode Island to visit some friends. Yeah. 
not like trying to escape because he comes back. Yeah. Um, he, he even calls the yeah. the police. Like he's, yeah. he's very adamant about keeping the police up to date and he keeps claiming to want to help whenever he can, wants to give them as much information or so he says. And he calls them, oh, I'm going to pop down to Rhode Island for a little bit. Um, you can reach me at this number. Which uh, I think uh, uh, Sergeant Brosnowski mentioned several times in some of his reports how he was always very willing. He, he was always cooperative. He was always ready to lend a hand. Always ready to lend a hand. You know what they say about suspects inserting themselves into the investigations? Mm-hmm. Happens quite often. They want to be there. They want to see the fruits of their labor. Uh, but I also, I don't think he's like that. I, anyway, whatever, we'll, we'll get there. But so now we roll into Monday, and so he's returned. So Sergeant Prosnuski takes this opportunity to to clarify the situation. They get a call early that day, early on Monday, from a woman who lives down at the Willows once again, claims that her two sons had been fishing Friday afternoon and may have seen Martha on a boat that matched the description. And we should probably point out Tom's boat's name is Counterpoint. Yes. It is a Cal 28 sailboat. So 28 feet long. May I say something? Weird coincidences. Like I said, I've spent the last several weeks in the 1990s with this story. I never have read anything about sailing before. We've never really talked that much about sailing, maybe in the context of, you know, Salem's merchant history. Remember how it snowed for the first time in a while? And everyone was like, yeah, everyone's like, oh my God. I was one of those people that was out on the street as soon as it started snowing. And I was walking down Chestnut Street. And I ran into a woman, she was a bit older, and she had three dogs with her. And I very rarely stop and chat for long periods of time, especially with like strangers, you know? And she just struck up a conversation. I said, oh, you got cute dogs. And I noticed two of them looked very similar. I was like, oh, they're, they're, they look like twins. And she says, oh, this is that kind of dog. And this is this kind. And they love sailing. And I like kind of brushed it off. And then she brought it up again. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And she's like, yeah, I got a Cal 33, something, something. And I'm like, why is this happening right now? <laughs> like, why is this woman talking to me about sailing? Like, I get that we are, that that's the yeah, community yeah, yeah, that we yeah. live in. But it was so weird that this happened. Well, and I just- can't tell her, like... I, you know, if you want me to talk about sailing right now, I'm going to have to tell you about this murder that you probably are very much aware of from 30 years ago, but I don't want to have that conversation right now. But it was so weird. Very weird coincidence. It's called something. Serendipity? No. It happens all the time, but we don't notice it until we start to notice it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, um, like there are, like it's... Like coincidence, coincidences happen all the time, I yeah, guess, or yeah. it just sticks out when it actually means something. Right, 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 exactly. Like if I would have ran into this woman and we were covering a totally different topic, that would have just gone in and out of my head. Yeah, she might have mentioned selling twice and you would have never, never thought anything like, of it. Whatever, like who cares? Right. But now because you're reading this, that conversation then sticks with you. And so then you're like, why is this happening? And it's like, well, it's not 
that is just happening. It is so weird, though. It is. It is so I, weird. But we're then you're now sort of a little bit more tuned into that. Yeah. So then you, your brain remembers that, which then makes your brain go, wait, what? What's yeah. going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just doesn't realize that it has these conversations all the time. Right. And It's so odd. Yeah, yeah. Brains are weird. Brains are weird. Memory's weird. Another thing that happened on Monday is Tom shows up at around 10 a.m. at the Palmer's Cove Yacht Club. So that was the yacht club that he belongs to. So this was weird. Tom, like, normally doesn't go in very often. He kind of keeps to himself, does his thing, uh, doesn't really socialize that much with the other yacht club members. But that day, that Monday, he shows up around 10 a.m. The bartender was a little bit taken aback and notices Tom putting a bag of trash in the dumpster. So it was kind of unusual for people to dispose of their personal trash at the yacht club. Some of the older, like veteran members had done it, but you know, this is odd behavior. He sat down at the bar and had a beer, 10 a.m. Unfortunately, we'll never know what was inside that trash bag because that just happened to be conveniently the day that trash was collected. But the bartender at the time just described the whole encounter as very unsettling. Why are you making that face? I don't think I had anything about the Palmer's Cove Yacht Club. Otherwise, I would have. Because that's weird. That's weird. They called it the poor man's yacht club. That's weird. Why is that weird? Because if his, his, it's weird. That well, his boat doesn't dock at. No, his boat's up at the Willows or the, the Willows Yacht Club. Is it docked there, though? Yeah. Because it said, pre, like, Martha just hopped on. He didn't dock that day. He wasn't docked that day. So had he just parked it at the Willows Yacht Club then? Yeah, I think so. Okay. He had a slip. Yeah, no. At Palmer's Cove? Yeah, yeah. So, no, he, yeah, he did not dock okay, okay. at the Willows Yacht Club. I think the Willows Yacht Club might have been the more money one. It's no? Not. Different? Okay, never mind. The, the Willows Yacht Club is like... It looks like it's going to fall in the water. <laughs> I, I mean, not to... Yes, he belonged to the Palmer's Yacht Club. Okay, that's the one right there. Yes. Not there, right over there. Okay. Weird, right? But she was never at the Palmer's Yacht Club. No. She was at the Willow's Yacht Club. Yes. Because he stopped. Yeah. So he, he's over there. Okay. But yeah, what do you think about the trash in the dumpster? Like, I really wish... So I wondered what happened to her clothes. I, I've always wondered what happened to her clothes. And she also um, brought with her some artwork that day. Okay. Um, she was her, I guess her plan was to kind of show him some of her art, take his mind off of his dead wife that doesn't actually exist and, you know, entertain him a bit. Yeah. But all of that gone. So um, he did say uh, the bag thing. We'll, I'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but her clothes, I always sort of wondered. I don't know. I guess just throw in the dumpster. Maybe we've watched too much Dexter. Also, so it's 1991, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, as someone who's living in 2023, and we've watched so many, you know, CSI, Law and Order, crime, police, detectives, Netflix specials, right? I'm just gonna take her clothes and throw her in the dumpster. I'm like, Are you fucking stupid. Like, I probably would have. Uh, I really think something was in that bag. Like, I really think so. Heavy-duty trash bag brought out to the middle of, like, 
10 miles out in the Atlantic with a big rock and just dropped it over the edge. And it would have been gone forever. But instead, puts in a tra- he, he, But we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. know. It, it could have just been his, his leftovers, right? It could have been a bag of dog poop. I don't know. And he never, but he never does that normally. Yeah. It was the yeah. first and only time he's ever dropped trash off at the yacht club. He lives at the Willows, and he brought trash to the yacht club, which is closer to where you live. Yeah, like yeah, like downtown, other side of town. Yeah. Also, like, why, why the yacht club? Like, if that's where you're picking up your skiff to go out to pick up your boat, that's moored in the harbor. People are gonna know you, right? I if I'm gonna get rid of trash, that's probably why he showed up at ten a.m. And and literally, the dumpster gets picked up. Right after that, like after the bartender has this encounter with him and just things feel weird and she knows know that, that someone's. That's weird. Why does he know that? I feel like that it's pretty common knowledge. Like if you, if you, if you belong to a yacht club, you, you probably notice do, like when. Do you know what time any dumpsters emptied in the city? Off the top of your head. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I used to know when the dumpster would get emptied at beer works when i worked at beer works maybe maybe i feel like if you if you work at a place or you live or like you belong to a club or something you might know you might know okay okay but also just hyper suspicious yeah no no super super weird so suspicious super weird so what do you think was in the bag i think i think things that tied him to Martha when in the bag. Like, I think her belongings, I think what she had with her, what she had brought with her on that trip, on the that day of okay. her death, was in that bag. Whether it was her clothes or the papers, the artwork that she had brought to show him. Yeah. Okay. I think she had also um, brought some resumes with her because she was looking for a, a new job now. Mm-hmm. Um, so just trying to get his mind off of his dead wife, as we said. But I, I genuinely think that... If they would have gotten that bag, it would have tied him directly to Martha. But at that point, no one really, you know, they know that he went sailing with her. At least they suspect based on the eyewitness accounts, but they have no actual proof. Right, right. But it's time to bring him in. Monday night. They have witnesses putting Martha on Tom's boat Friday afternoon. You can't dispute that. And those same witnesses were able to somewhat identify his boat in particular. So he can't lie this time. He arrived at the police station around 7. Detectives read him his Miranda rights, and he gave them his second story. Third? No, this is second. I know, I know, I know. But I, I think I sort of like to think of it as his third story. So the first is he doesn't know her at all, right? Not to the police, but to to Brian. Mm-hmm. He's like Martha who? So his his narrative starts out as, I don't know. I don't know who she is. And then it, it evolves to, oh, yeah, the one with the dog. I saw her Friday morning. So that's part. So it goes, I don't know her at all. I saw her a little bit Friday morning. To now, we're continuing on to, oh, yeah, somehow totally slipped my mind. That she did indeed get on my boat. He starts off this statement with, quote, she was supposed to bring her husband. Mm -hmm. The amount that this man blames other people throughout infuriates me. 
He claimed that it was her idea to meet at the pier that day. And he had just dropped her off at Winter Island after a short sail. So he comes around, picks her up at the uh, Salem Willows Yacht Club, and then turns around and goes back to Winter Island, uh, claiming short sail. She, she wanted to go home. She didn't want to be on the boat, which is fine. But again, yet another lie, obviously. And also a very odd statement to make like the the willows and winter island are basically they're both on that peninsula yeah on the same peninsula like they're in they're stones throw away from each other and there is only one road in and one road out of winter island so if martha had been dropped at winter island she would have passed by people that she knew she would have passed by her neighbors as she made her way back into the willows so it's a friday afternoon in July. The Willows is bustling. Is it busy? Uh, I'm, and I, I would hazard a guess that uh, the beaches are full. The the uh, parking lot is full. The campground is full. Uh, if not full, getting full. Waikiki Beach is probably full of people. Uh, there's probably people at the lighthouse. Fort Pickering. Did I get that right? Just came right off the top of my head. Is that Fort Pickering? Fort, Fort Lee. Fort Lee, sorry. Fort Lee. Um, and again, the, like <laughs> the audacity to, to be like, oh, I dropped her there. And then to assume that, that no one like some dude, no, you, there is not a single soul that can corroborate his story. Yeah. yeah. So this is the evidence he gives to detective Sergeant Prosnuski, the detective Sergeant, uh, as good as his, at his job as he is, is like, okay, she was dropped at Winter Island. Let's, Let's go, go check on that. Let, who was at Winter Island? Let's go find someone who saw her. And of course, Tom was very apologetic about lying to police. Yeah, Sa- he said that he didn't want his wife to find out that he was with her on his boat alone. Because that would just be inappropriate, I believe is not quite a direct quote, but that's, he didn't think that would be okay. Yeah. Um, he apologized for lying, says he's sorry, and he would do anything to help from here on out. Including lying again. But anyway. (laughs) Now, it doesn't take long for them to dismantle this story. Mm -hmm. In fact, the detective ran into a fellow officer who happened to be at the dock on Winter Island that day, Friday, in the afternoon, for at least like two hours. He's like, no, that did not happen. I would have seen her get off. That did not happen. And he goes around, talks to a few more people. He cannot find, like we said, a single soul to corroborate this story. So we come to Tuesday the 16th. She has been missing for... Uh, Friday to Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Four days. Four days. About 96 hours. Been missing for four days. And at this point, the news stations are really catching on to the story. Mm They're printing her picture in the newspaper. I guess I read that news reporters were camped out outside of, obviously, the police station you said is right next to Red's. They were out there asking customers, like, on their way in to get, you know, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the their interpretation. Like, what do you think about this? Where do you think she is? Like, can you imagine news reporters coming into Red's? So we now have confirmation that story number two or story number three, however we want to count it, uh, the drop at the Winter Island is more bullshit. Not feasible. 
So multiple uh, reports of people saying they were they were at Winter Island, they were at the pier, uh, they didn't see anything. Um, so let's let's try and get to the bottom of things. And this is where we get this is where we learn what happened to her, um, wh- whether or not it's a whole truth or a partial truth or this is it. Tom Mamoni had gone back down to Rhode Island that day. Uh, to me, it seems like it kind of reads like he was just looking to escape Salem, like he was really trying to get out and away from the investigation, even though he was calling them incessantly. They said, OK, Tom, it's time to come in. Shows up to the station. May, may I read you his full statement from that night? Yeah. Yeah. So, let's let's hear the bold faced lies of Tom Mamoni. So this will come at, like we said, on Tuesday night. There was an accident. The wind had freshened up. We were sailing around, Martha and I. We were really supposed to look at her artwork. My wife was out of town. Parker Brothers closing. I lost two job opportunities. I felt like I needed a day out on the ocean. I needed to get away. We sailed out. Sailed all over the place. Out as far as Gloucester. Heading to Stellwagen Bank. We didn't make it out that far. The sun was going down. She wasn't wearing the right shoes. Any shoes. I depowered, got the mainsail down. She insisted on helping and ran over. She wasn't really a good sailor. There were good-sized boats off in the distance. I jibbed around to make a 180-degree turn. The head sail got hung up on the stay. No big deal. She tried to help. A rogue wave hit. Maybe two. Her face hit the mast twice. The boat pitched. She grabbed for the head sail and went over. The winds were 10 to 15 knots out of the southwest. She went right in and down. I was trying to control the boat and look for her. She disappeared behind the dodger. I saw the depth at 102 feet. This happened half an hour after sunset. She was wearing one of her designer tops and shorts. I could probably put you right over the spot. My hands were on the radio. I wanted to call the Coast Guard, but I froze. There was no alcohol involved. Neither of us had a drink. I may have had a beer. Her bag fell over at the same time. Shoes were in her bag. The bag was heavy. I assumed it went to the bottom. However, the bag may have gone in. I don't remember what caused the bag to be lost. So that was his statement. Signed, Thomas Mamoni, July 16th, 1991. So now it is... Uh, I guess what we refer to as, as the rogue wave story uh, at this point. And two things uh, with this, not not to make light of it. For ages, I thought of this wave <laughs> as as like cresting the ship. I don't know why, and like taking her with it, like some cartoon, like, oh, wave, you know, mm-hmm. like you see, and it sweeps the ship and, and then she's gone. Uh, but what I think he means, and I don't know why that was just the image I had in my head for years, uh, I, I think what he means is that because the boat's in the distance, the, the, the 15 knot winds, and especially where they were, you get a wave that hits the side of the boat, and it's very easy to lose your footing. Uh, it's very easy to slip. It's very easy to, to stump. No shoes, not the right shoes. And he told, in this case, the right story. And if... If this was the story that he had told from the beginning, um, I don't think this would have panned out the, the way it did. Um, I think if if uh, 
Sergeant Brzezinski had turned up at his house Saturday morning and he'd acted panicked and distraught and then like I didn't know what to do I was scared this is the scenario I'm sorry I didn't call the police I've just been I've just been I, I don't scared. know I've just been scared yeah. right uh and 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 you act scared right and regardless of whether he was or wasn't or whatever obviously he's a very deceitful manipulative person um but that rogue wave story is told well you know she what didn't have her shoes and and it was windy and, and with the exception of the fact that Martha was actually a fabulous sailor well and had sailed for years years yeah knew everything so that's she that wouldn't have happened I mean it could I'm not saying it couldn't right, happen right, right. it's possible right it's possible but it's not probable yeah so if he'd come out the gate with that I think it would have looked very different and and if anything the detectives they were kind of inclined to believe him yeah. like okay he lied to us a couple times already he's acting very distraught during this this claim maybe this is the real truth maybe this is what happened because you could see how someone might make that poor judgment call and instead of calling the coast guard calling the harbor you just run away because you don't know what to do not the the right decision of course but you can see how human nature fight or flight takes over panic yeah um, I also think, think the bag thing is, is interesting. He's trying, I think he, in that moment, he's just trying to talk about, like trying to give a reason for why her belongings, he doesn't have them anymore. No, no. I, I think the bag thing is different. Um, and he, he mentions the bag a couple more times. He mentions it to, to, uh, some friends. I think it's because if anything of the bag turned up, he needs, he needs a reason for it. Yeah. Right, because if her shoe floats to shore, if the bag turned whatever whatever was in the bag uh, ends up on a beach somewhere, he can then say, "Well, it fell over. It right. it, it got swept up as well." Yeah, I don't know what happened to her, but her shoes here. Because remember, I told you the bag went overboard, and, um, and that's why he doesn't have the bag still. Yeah, um, that's why I think he he mentions the bag. Uh, and I think through the reports, he mentioned a couple times. And I, I'm convinced that, that that's the reason why. So now they have a, a confession of sorts. They can go seize the boat. So they're going to they're gonna take counterpoint Tom's sailboat and do a full, full search. It's also at this point that the search effort for her. I mean, it, it, it had been extreme. Not, not like a negative way. But, but now they know that she went overboard. Yes, yeah, she's not on land. She's not whatever. She's there's now the evidence that she went overboard. Um, maybe she's washed up somewhere. Maybe something. Can we find the body? And we have in the harbor master, just people with ships, other sailors, other Salem locals, the police boats, um, coast guard, uh, combing the surrounding areas. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the North Shore of Massachusetts, or to be fair, even the South Shore of Massachusetts, um, it is a very rocky, very inletted area of land. Um, if you look at a map, you have Marblehead, you have the harbor below that. Above that, go just go down, you have Nahant, there's the beach, you circle around the Salem you Harbor. a bunch of little coves in between. Yeah, circle around islands, uh, Baker's Island, Misery Island, uh, the, the shoreline just zigzags in and out, rocky coastal all the way up to Gloucester, even more rocky, even more coastal up there. And uh, finding a body there would be 
difficult. Yeah. Even even under the, the best circumstances uh, would be difficult. The detectives described Mamoni as looking relatively relieved after he, quote-unquote, got this off his chest. Um, that need to confess. Yep. So as we've, we've talked about before with uh, Mr. Poe and Mr. White. <laughs> indeed, we have different circumstances, of course. But he has confessed to not a murder. An accident. An accident. An accident. And it looks like this is where we are going to leave you. We're trying to get a little better at trimming the episodes. So at this point, you've heard several variations of what took place on the afternoon of July 12th, 1991. At least according to murder suspect Tom Maimoni. In part two, things are going to get really crazy. Not only are we going to tackle the conclusion of this story, we'll talk about the murder trial, but we'll also cover how the official witch of Salem makes her way into the investigation. Don't worry, you will not have to wait till next Tuesday. Check back this Thursday for part two of the tragic murder of Martha Brailsford. Thanks for listening. See you later.